Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie, and today I'm joined by Aaron Godfrey, Democratic candidate for Ohio's 16th Congressional District. Thanks for coming on, Aaron. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. For starters, could you tell us a little bit about your background and why you're running for Congress now? I don't have a background typical of most candidates for Congress. Uh, after graduating high school in 2004 in my hometown of Valeria, Ohio, I went to school to study physics. Uh, I got my bachelor's in 2008 and got my master's shortly after in 2010. I went for a PhD, but ultimately didn't have the money and some other family issues got in the way, so I had to leave my PhD program early. There's countless reasons I've run for, for Congress. When I was in high school, my dad was diagnosed with diabetes, and it's a preventable, treatable disease. There's no reason anyone should have to suffer from it, but we didn't have the money for medicine. Our insurance wasn't good enough to cover it, so we got into the cycle of him not being able to afford his medicine, failing physicals, and getting his uh, commercial driver's license suspended. He was a truck driver, and so he'd be out of work for six months at a time off and on. Eventually, he got put on disability, and eventually he got put on Medicare, but before that, he was on Medicaid pre-Affordable Care Act, and it didn't do much to help him out. Ultimately, he wound up dying from complications to diabetes, which is absurd, and it was awful, and I don't think anyone in this country should have to deal with that, to see their one of their family members suffer from a completely treatable condition just because they don't have the money for it. Another reason I'm running is because as a poor kid who went to college, I'm saddled with student loan debt and will be for the rest of my life. There's no getting away from it. There's no getting out of it. It's just the way things are. Uh, so it doesn't matter how good I am with payments or credit history in general because I have all this student loan debt and it will never go away. I think it's wrong that just because of someone's family history, family credit, they, they can't go to college. Higher education should be a right. I think ultimately tuition should be covered by the government in some way or another for public universities. But either way, it's wrong that we lock higher education behind such incredible costs that get higher and higher. If I were starting college today, I don't know how I would ever get by. Every semester was a struggle. Uh, at the time when I was doing what I could to make get the money, it seemed like I was doing everything I could to have a better future. Little did I know I was just locking myself into debt that I will never be free from. Lastly, climate change is a big deal. As a scientist myself, as someone who believes in observable reality, it's not something we can keep kicking the can down the road for. And that's what Congress today does. And that to me is deeply frustrating. This is something that's going to affect our lives, our children's lives, and our grandchildren's lives. We're going to see the effects in our lifetime. The wildfires are a good example right now on the West Coast. We need to be proactive with treat with solving these problems, and no one in Congress right now is willing to do that. How does your experience as a physicist impact your approach to politics? Well, as I mentioned a minute ago, I, I believe in observable reality, <laughs> which is you wouldn't think that'd be a qualifying statement, but it seems like there's a lot of people in Congress that just don't. That That's a, a part of it, first off. But second, one of my advisors when I was in grad school told me, or told the class, I should say, that getting a degree in physics isn't necessarily a degree in science. It's a degree in critical thinking. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you're given very complicated, difficult problems, and you're given a small set of tools to solve them, the equations or the math behind the physics. And you have to use those tools to solve these problems. And I think that that's a pretty a pretty good way to look at it. And throughout my experiences in life, it seems to have held up pretty well. Just having someone in Congress who is willing to listen to people, experts in their fields, that alone goes a long, long way. And it's embarrassing that that's the state we are at in this country, but 
What do you actually hope to introduce in terms of legislation to help combat climate change? Well, I think that there's a lot we can do here and a lot of things that Congress could have got on their act together on a long time ago and they just haven't for big money interest reasons or whatever reasons they may have had. A lot of people throw a fuss about the cost of solar compared to oil and gas. For a long time now, they've reached what they call uh, cost parity, where the cost of a solar cell basically boils down to be about the same as with a fossil fuel uh, generated watt of electricity. That's even before we get into the subsidies of oil and gas. If we were to apply the same subsidies to uh, renewable energy sources like wind or solar, then it would be very competitive and it we could see all kinds of new growth and new research and development on that front. Beyond that, I think that there's always room to improve technology, especially when it comes to solar. Uh, I think that we need to expand the funding we have available for that kind of research and development and just make it available to researchers at universities to help the National Renewable Energy Lab in Colorado have the funds they need to do the research they need to do to improve our energy harvesting technologies. Beyond that, I'd be a huge proponent for offshore wind in Lake Erie here in Ohio. We have three, I think it's three windmills that are about to pop up over in the lake. They're, they're groundbreaking for the United States because we don't have freshwater offshore wind farms here. I think we have one other wind, offshore wind farm, but it is on the East Coast in the ocean. So it's a little bit of a different game here when you're talking about the Great Lakes versus the ocean. But I would do everything I could to support those kinds of wind farms. I would be a huge proponent for not just establishing these offshore wind farms, but making sure it's done in an environmentally responsible way that doesn't endanger migration patterns for birds or trade routes for ships. So you also, of course, mentioned the high cost of higher education. What are your plans to help make education more affordable? And do you also support full student debt forgiveness? Uh, short answer to that last part of the question. Yes, I support student loan forgiveness, but it needs to be changed the way it's dealt. So I, ha I have a pretty drawn out plan for how to deal with student loan debt. The first thing, I, since you asked about loan forgiveness, let me address that first. Right now, if you... Uh, are working for the government for a public sector job for 10 years, you're forgiven at, uh, the remainder of your loan debt at the end of 10 years, or whether or not you've paid it all of it off or not. Otherwise, if you go on the income-based repayment plan, they'll forgive your remaining debt after 15 years of good faith attempts at on-time payments. To me, that's a great idea. It starts out on the right foot, but then once you read the fine print, you see that that forgiven debt's considered taxable income. And for someone like me with my background not having any resources outside of what I can cobble together on my own, that just shifts a bad problem from one government agency to one that's much more hostile and hard to, harder to deal with. So the first thing I would do with student loan forgiveness is make it tax-free. Don't consider it taxable income because that's just making it worse for a student. But to get back to the overall situation with student loan debt. I have a plan to deal with debt first, and I realize that this plan requires a second half to it that would require a much much more research, much more cooperation between both sides of the aisle. But the first thing we need to do, in my opinion, is stop the bleeding, stop costing our country their future, stop co costing our youngest, newest generations, our young adults their future by blocking off college for those who just can't afford it. So the first thing I would want to do is have the Department of Education fund all tuition costs irrelevant to the parent's credit history if a student is fresh out of high school. If they don't have an established credit history of their own, we should take into it that they're not going into college 
to scam the system because it doesn't make any sense to begin with. Holding a student accountable for the sins of their parents doesn't make any sense and all it does is block people from getting the education they need. Second, the student loan debt forgiveness plan, I, like I said, I like it, and immediately we need to consider forgiving debt tax-free. But I think we could do more with that. I think we could lessen the timetable to make it less of a permanent fixture in a student's life. So first off, we should make the income-based repayment plan the default plan right now is once you graduate and your loans come out of the grace period, they just throw you into a, I believe it's like a 10-year repayment term, which for a lot of people isn't going to be feasible, especially if they went to graduate school or medical school or something like that. So we should immediately default it to an income-based repayment plan. We should lower the amount of time it takes for their debt to be forgiven. For public sector, I'd say probably seven, eight years would be good. Non-public sector, 10 or 11 years. I, I think one of the best things we can do for the communities these students live in and just the country as a whole and, and for their own financial freedom is to let community service lessen their debt burden. So for example, say someone graduates from college and they want to go volunteer at an animal shelter in their free time or a homeless shelter or something along those lines. If they accomplish, if, they, if they've served so much of their time per year, we should be able to knock off a few months of their loan debt or some dollar value that remains to be determined. But the point is, is that if we allow community service to credit a student's debt burden, then they win because their debt burden is lessened. The community wins because they have new people coming in to help out around there without asking for wages. And, and we all win. Like it's a win-win. It's the, the community wins, the student wins, the country wins because we have many more educated people entering the workforce without that barrier of the cost. Beyond that, I think that it would be good to allow the Department of Education to consolidate private loans and give those loans the protection afforded to federal loans once they're consolidated. Generally, I'm against the Department of Education profiting from student loans, but I think in the case of consolidating private loans, it seems reasonable to me, especially if they're getting the uh, protections of, of federal loans if they do do that consolidation. College isn't for everyone either. The county where I grew up had a really great joint vocational school where high school students could use the last two years of their high school education to go learn trade skills, like being an electrician or a plumber or a carpenter or something along those lines. I think that that's the kind of program we should incentivize throughout the country. Every county should have something like that available to them, and if it's not available in their high schools, it should be, it should be available in some capacity to community colleges. And ultimately, again, I advocate for tuition-free college. I think that our tax dollars are going into these schools. We need to be able to educate our kids without saddling them with a lifetime of debt they will never escape from. So looking into your district in particular, like the rest of your state, it is highly gerrymandered to favor Republicans. What do you hope to do as a member of Congress to help fix our electoral system in terms of fair districting and voting rights? Ohio is fortunate in one way, at least in that we have a lot of people running around the state right now with petitions to put on the ballot in 2018 a fair districts amendment. Now, that only helps Ohio, I understand, but at least we're moving a step in the right direction. We have some terribly gerrymandered districts here, including my own. On a national front, as far as, first off, I hope all of this is taken care of by the Wisconsin case in, the, in front of the Supreme Court right now. They're hearing a case on political gerrymandering uh, as it occurred in Wisconsin. I hope reason prevails. Gerrymandering seems so obviously fraudulent at its face that I can't imagine how any serious judicial body could look at this and say it's fair and that it doesn't disenfranchise voters. So I'm hoping that this will be taken care of before I'm even done with my campaign. But if it's not, I would absolutely 
support any measure at all to end political gerrymandering. The fair district's move in Ohio is basing their district drawing practices on a bill that passed here in 2015 that would redraw our state districts based on a seven-person panel where the majority party has four seats and the minority party has three seats, but they all seven have to unanimously agree on the way districts are drawn. There's also some measures and metrics in that bill that ensures that they're drawn fair to some extent, but that I think is a good model for the country. If we can't get every person on this panel across both major parties to agree on it, that should immediately set off some alarms. If the Supreme Court or says that political gerrymandering is legal, which would be absolutely flabbergasting, but if they do come out in that in that direction, then I would support every chance I could, co-sponsor, sponsor, write any amendment I could that would and gerrymandering as a practice and political gerrymandering because it disenfranchises people plain and simple that people people like me in my district haven't had a voice in years and i'd argue even the republicans in the district haven't had a voice because our current representative jim renace he doesn't care what the people think he has the yard next to his name he'll win anyways and that's what it's been like since he won after the districts were redrawn and that's wrong so why do you think it's important to elect millennials so let me start with climate change that's an obvious example because this is something you and I are going to have to deal with and our kids are going to have to deal with. It's, it's, it's a very real issue and Congress barriers are head in the sand. We need people who are going to be there and say, hey, this matters. This matters to me, my kids, my family, my friends, everyone. It, we need millennials in there because initially the tax bill wanted to tax graduate tuition waivers, which would have immediately barred me from getting my master's even dreaming of a PhD. That is something they do because they, it doesn't affect them no one they talk to is a grad student. No one they talk to cares about the issues of graduate students. No one they talk to cares about graduates coming out of college. It's just not on their radar at all. We need people who know what it's like to be dealing with the, the struggle of going through college today and the cost of it and what it means to be a graduate student today and how important that tuition waiver is to you. And, and that, that perspective is just lost on wealthy baby boomers going in there to vote in their own interest versus for their people's interest. The tax bill, I think, is the great example of this. I think it was Joe Scarborough who called it generational theft. And I can't think of a better way to describe it than that. It is stealing one to one and a half trillion dollars from our pockets and giving it to what I would call the most entitled generation that's ever walked the planet. People in Congress right now who slip in these real estate provisions to enrich themselves and their colleagues to get their votes instead of doing something that could actually help people. When this all first started happening in the Senate, Sherrod Brown, one of the, the senators from Ohio, said if we wanted to cut taxes on the middle class, we'd cut taxes on the middle class. That's as simple as it gets. And he's 100% right. And that's exactly what this bill avoids doing at all costs. We need someone in there to represent our generation to be a voice in support of our needs and wants. And you can tell with the way this has gone down that no one on the Republican side of the ballot cares one iota for what we think and how we feel about these things because they're going to get rich, their friends are going to get rich, and their donors are going to just throw money at them. If someone like me gets into Congress, I'll work towards real reform, towards real tax reform, towards real tax credits for the middle class and the working class, and I'll work towards real entitlement reform. And I'm not talking about Medicare and Social Security here. Those are benefits. I'm talking about entitlement reform in the sense of the tax bill that's going through Congress right now as we speak. Because that is... there. I can't think of anything more entitled than what these Republicans are doing in Congress right now. And for them to call things that lives depend on, like Social Security and Medicare entitlements, to me is the height of 
absurdity. Finally, how can folks get involved in your campaign? The obvious answer is donate. I hate begging for money, but it is unfortunately a necessary part of this. If you go to my website, www.godfreeforcongress.com, you can click the donate button there and uh, throw some money my way on Act Blue. Uh, you can find me on Facebook if you search for Aaron Godfrey for Congress 2018 or Twitter at Godfrey4OH16. And follow me, share me. If you live in the Ohio 16th District, tell your friends about me. I'm going to eventually need as many volunteers as I can get my hands on. I've already had a lot of people say that they're interested in helping me out. But the more help I can get, whether it's sharing on social media, getting the attention of national figures, or just donating five or ten bucks if you can afford it, everything helps. Whether you can donate, volunteer, or just share my posts on social media, it all helps. Again, the website is godfreeforcongress.com. Follow me on Twitter, godfreeforoh16. I'm pretty active on there, so if you're really wondering how I feel about something, there's some good stream of consciousness stuff that comes out on there sometimes. Okay. Well, thank you again for coming on today. Thank you for having me, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Again, this is Aaron Godfrey, Democratic candidate for the House of Representatives in Ohio's 16th, and I'm Jordan Valerie, Editor-in-Chief of Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter and Medium at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.